Hello, and welcome to Gigi Is. I know it's been a while, and I really just needed the time to kind of brainstorm and think about where I wanted to go with this podcast. And after a while, a long while, I decided I wanted to go with something that a lot of people really don't know I'm into. And um, I just kind of wanted to share with everyone and maybe just reach one other person how I feel about this subject. And that is Tudor history. So let me explain how I got here. After listening to so many podcasts and watching countless historical shows and movies, you already know, like, I wanted to explore castles. I wanted a whole European tour, and that's on my bucket list. But until then, I just wanted to tell you about a few of my favorite Tudor people, places, and things. It's always a topic I am into that most of my friends are so confused about. They just can't understand it. Like, it's not part of my personality. You wouldn't guess it. Um, it's like this loud black girl geeking over so much history bullshit, going to Renaissance fairs and watching life in the park and like totally getting excited about it where my friends are like, that's weird. Like they're losers, whatever, whatever. But I'll explain. Both of my parents were educators who made me read, experience different cultures, arts, lifestyles, and I can remember it literally, like, I, very vividly. It was early 2000s. We lived in California. And we ended up at this Renaissance fair just looking for something to do. None of us had no idea what to expect. Literally, I never had more fun. Never. It gave me a glimpse into the books my parents made me read. And, like, I could envision it. It, it brought it to life. It was real. I just never wanted to leave. I mean, that and at Drew Barrymore and um, Ever After. And I was hooked. Like, I was in it. I was in it to win it. Two freaking decades later, ain't shit changed. Like, but it was just like, no matter how many podcasts I listened to, it was always something. Like, I'm not knocking any of them. Like, they're very informative, but they just are boring. Like, they, I couldn't get hooked. And it's like, this history shit is like a novella. It's like watching um, reality television. You can't make this shit up. But they just couldn't get it out. So this is for the closet nerd who loves Tudor history, even if the homies talk shit and you just want to hear it from another person or a different perspective. To explain where I want to start, of course, you have to start with Henry VIII. He's a staple in Tudor history, but not because of him. I want to start with his wives. He, as well as all men in medieval history, let's backspace delete that, all men, ain't fucking shit. But his wives, Henry VIII's wives, were royalty not to be fucked with. So we'll start at the beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Catherine of Aragon, a.k.a. the bottom bitch. Okay, so let's dive in on a little bit of history behind Catherine. Like, so her parents, her lineage, 
So Catherine was born at the Archbishop's Palace of Alcala de Arnares near Madrid. Um, I probably said that wrong, but listen, I'm doing my best. <laughs> um, and this was on December 16th, 1485. She was the youngest surviving child of King Ferdinand II of Aragon and Queen Isabella the first of Castile. And Isabel is most remembered for enabling Columbus's voyage, you might know Columbus, uh, um, to the New World. So she is a bad bitch. Like she is known, she is historical, she is the one, okay? Very forward thinking, um, very powerful, very savvy. And to explain how Catherine looked, before I start, I just want you to keep in mind, she was a bad bitch in her own right of her time. So Catherine was short. She had long red hair, dark auburn hair, big blue eyes, and a fair, very fair complexion, very Spanish. She was also a descendant from the Lancastrian family line. So... By all accounts, her claim to the throne was even stronger than Henry VII himself. So she was royal, okay? But because history never gave a fuck about women, most um, were uneducated. But because she was Isabel's fucking daughter and Isabel didn't play no games and she was not with the bullshit, not only was she raised very close to her mom, which we all know during Renaissance time, that's not normal. They usually are sent out to live with a tutor um, away from their parents. And this is not just because the parents didn't want to take care of them. Like, if you think about it, back of the day, disease was very rampant and easy. Like, people died for nothing. So you wanted the heir to the throne to um, be in a different location. Um, and then also, if somebody were to invade and kill the king or queen, you didn't want all of the lineage to be there to be able to be assassinated. Um, but she was also very learned. So she studied arithmetic, civil law, classical literature, genealogy, history, philosophy, religion, and theology. She had a sh very strong religious upbringing. Um, I mean, it goes down the line. Like, you might know her daughter. Um, spoiler, but Bloody Mary. Okay. Um, they are religious. And that developed her Roman Catholic faith that would play a major role later in life. And we all know what happens. Let's get there. She also learned to speak, read, and write in Spanish and Latin and spoke French and Greek. She was also taught domestic skills such as cooking, dancing, drawing, embroidery, good manners, lace making, music, needlepoint, sewing, spinning, and weaving. Your girl was all around the one, okay? She had it all. Like, what could you, what, what else are you looking for? Because of her family's huge bag and Henry VII being about that royal business, 
Catherine was considered a suitable wife for his son, Arthur, Prince of Wales, who was heir to the English throne. I mean, Isabel's bloodline made this match with like, like a huge power play for England. And Henry was also loving that they had money. He was enjoying that dowry. He was looking for the bag. He was trying to conceal the bag and secure it. Um, I mean, what else can I say? It was a power move. It was political. The alliance of Catherine and Arthur validated the House of Tudor in the eyes of the European royalty and strengthened the Tudor claim to the English throne via Catherine and the Aragon ancestry. But, you know, it would have given a male, if, the, if they had a male, it would have given a male heir an indisputable claim to the throne. So, no matter what, no matter what. And you could, and if you just think about it, we had come out of the, they had just come out of the War of the Roses and everything. So they were trying to secure their spot on the throne in without a doubt. So the two were married by proxy on May 19th, 1499. And they they corresponded, so wrote letters to each other in Latin until Arthur turned 15 when it was decided that they were old enough to be married. When that happened, Catherine was accompanied to England by the ambassadors, Archbishop Bishop. She also brought a group of her African attendants with her, which are also known to be the first Africans. Do you hear me? The first Africans recorded to have arrived in London at the time. And they were considered luxury servants and she loved them and they were um, I believe from what I've read that some of them were also Muslim, but um, she didn't, you know, fault them for their religious beliefs. But they are the first blacks to be in Europe, y'all. All right, so. Catherine departs for England and she departs on August 17th, 1501. She doesn't get there till November 4th in Hampshire. That is such a problem for me. I would have given up. Like, that's way too long. And it was, tre- it was known to be treacherous journey. Like, nope, nope, I'm not down for it. But Arthur. It is noted that he did write to Catherine's parents and he quote unquote wrote, he'll be a true and loving husband, which was, you know, that means he liked her. And he also wrote to his family about how he liked her and she was so pretty. And even though they did correspond and write many letters in Latin when they were in person, they really couldn't understand each other because of the pronunciation of the Latin they learned, which kind of sucks. I mean, I mean, obviously, eventually they were going to figure it out, but I'm sure they had like an interpreter there to just, which is not as, you know, it's not as sexy. <laughs> so 10 days later, November 14th, they were married in person, not by proxy, and 
a dowry of 200,000 ducats had been agreed for this marriage um, from Catherine's family. And half of that, I repeat, half of that was paid right after they got married. So once they were married, Arthur was sent to Ludlow Castle um, on the borders of Wales, which was his duty as the Prince of Wales. And of course, Catherine went along with him because they needed to start trying to make some babies. That's what they do. Um, They stayed at the Castle Lodge in Ludlow. But only a few months later, they both got very, very sick um, with a sweating sickness, which I'm... Even with my research, I'm not really sure what the sweating sickness is, but it happens really fast and you sweat and sweat and sweat, start hallucinating, then you're dead, like in a day sometimes. Um, so they both got sick with the sweating sickness and it was just rampant all over. And on April 2nd, 1502, Arthur died and... Catherine was only 16. She woke up out of her days from being sick and she was a, a widow, no husband. Um, and as if that wasn't enough to deal with, like it was a big, big issue because now Henry VII, which was Arthur's dad, he didn't want to, he wanted to avoid having to pay back the half of that $200,000 that he had just got from their marriage. Um, and he still wanted the other half that he didn't even get, bro. So, and then King Henry's wife died, Queen Elizabeth, which is Arthur's mom. So then Arthur's dad decides, oh, hey, great idea. Let me marry you, Catherine. What? Not the dad to the dead son gonna ask you to marry what this is this is you can't make this up folks okay this is real real life okay okay so it gets deeper so Catherine's dad was like hell no you ain't marrying my daughter with your old ass so to settle it they said that Catherine would marry his other son which wound up being Henry, the Duke of York. But he was five years younger than Catherine. It was okay. Um, but at that time, Catherine's mom died. And that means that like her quote unquote value went down because history is all about men and their dicks and their bitch asses. Um, Castile was a much larger kingdom than Eric kingdom than Aragon and it was inherited by Catherine's older sister Juana and if you ain't know that bitch was crazy and did not fuck with Catherine Juana de Loca okay she was crazy so it was delayed until Henry was old enough but Ferdinand also procrastinated because of the pay oh like he just wasn't paying the money he he wasn't paying the money he could have got Catherine out of being waiting and being in limbo she was like broke as fuck she had no money and her fucking dad wasn't helping her and her fucking crazy ass sister wasn't helping her it was just a fucked up situation she basically was like a prisoner in Durham house in London she wrote letters about the way she was treated and it was terrible like 
I feel bad for my girl. You know what I mean? It was she was a she was women were not treated right and she was like in a rock and a hard place and she just made it happen and made a dollar out of 15 cent but then juana her sister went crazy and after her husband died so her dad decided hey he's taking power and he named catherine as spanish ambassador to england Boom, game changer. She would that makes her the first female ambassador in Europe. And everybody was just like wishing her the worst. Like they're like, she ain't gonna be able to do this, da 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 da. But guess what? You know who runs the world? Girls. And she she made them eat their fucking words to the fullest extent. So with her power, with the money backing her, everything in its place, King Henry was down with her marrying her son. But this all depended on the Pope giving them a dispensation because canon law, cardinal law forbade a man to marry his brother's widow. And at that point, that would spark the conversation known to everybody about whether Catherine and Arthur actually had sex. I want to say, I want to say no so bad, but because of how important it was to um, to seal the marriage, I can't believe it would be opposite, but they were so young when they got married. Maybe they both weren't into it. I don't know, but Catherine testified that her marriage to Arthur was never consummated and if it's not consummated you got a green light and that's what happened so the pope said you guys shall be wed so catherine's second wedding because remember she was married to arthur he died. This is her second wedding. This took place on June 11th in 1509. And this was seven years after Prince Arthur's death. So your girl was on the struggle bus for seven years. Like I'm talking about, she is a princess and she is living in squalor. Like she's selling her jewels She's selling tapestries, everything she can in order to stay alive and maintain herself. Mind you, she's had to send away most of her ladies in waiting. It's just history ancient. So then she married Henry VIII, who had just accepted the throne because his dad, Henry VII, had died. And so they were married in a private ceremony, and this was outside of Greenwich Palace. And at the time, Catherine was only 23 years old. So she was prime making babies age. So before we get to the deep stuff, I just want to tell you guys what I'm pairing my <laughs> story with today. And that is a red wine because this shit is heavy. So pour you a glass it's about to get real we'll start with her coronation 
So she was, she and Henry had a a joint coronation, and this was on, um, okay, so Saturday, June twenty third, fifteen oh nine. This is the day before the coronation procession. Okay, they were greeted with crowds and crowds of people. By this time, Catherine was already very, very popular with the people, and as is custom. Um, before coronation, you they would spend a night in the Tower of London. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this is like a jail. This is where they would keep people before they're beheaded. But it was a tradition and they had many different um, rooms that were luxurious. And that's where they stayed. And so it was in the middle of summer, June 24th. It was a Sunday in 1509. Henry and Catherine were both were both anointed and crowned together by the Archbishop of Canterbury. It was a big, huge deal. Dripping in jewels a la Guanza. It was a coronation to be remembered with a huge banquet in Westminster Hall following. Um, And now a fun thing that I read on Wiki was that there were many new knights of the bath created in honor of the coronation. So I had to do a little bit of research and figure out what was the knights of the bath. And what that was is that there were just many knights that were knighted. And that is what their term was for that. So that's cool. A little something new you learn every day. And in that month that followed, there was just so many celebrations and to present Catherine to the people and they just loved her and it was really from that time on Catherine would have a hold of the people even more than Henry and that would set the tone for so many things that happen um following and um we will get to that in my next episode with part two for Catherine of Aragon will going into her reign. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me on Gigi is Talking Tutor. I hope you're just as excited as I am. If you have any suggestions of tutor topics that you would want me to talk about, you can go ahead and message me at Gigi Couture, and that's Couture with a K on Instagram or Diva G Medina Gmail.com. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.